find all the time. And sometimes it's hard to find him, isn't it? But he's there. And he cares. Just open your eyes. Open your eyes. If you have your Bibles or your electronic device with your Bible on it, let's hold those up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, what rules? What rules? And I want you to use your hand motion, too. What rules? Come on. Turn to your neighbor. What rules? Okay, now turn to your other neighbor and say, you fixing to find out. Just like that, you got to shake your finger at them. You fixing to find out. <laughs> Kyle Eidelman <clears throat> is the, one of the preaching ministers at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Largest independent Christian church in our country. They average anywhere from 20 to 30,000 people a weekend in Louisville, Kentucky. <clears throat> it's a massive church, a massive amount of people. Can you imagine communion for that many people every week? But they do it, and they do it every, every week. They serve communion. But in preparation for the message today, I, I read a story that Kyle uh, had put in uh, the uh, message notes, <clears throat> and I thought, that you need to hear this story. He said, I remember a girl in high school who graduated maybe a year or two ahead of me. She got pregnant when she was 16 or 17 years old. We lived in a pretty small town, and the church we went to wasn't that big of a church, so news of the pregnancy spread quickly. For a while, she kept trying to come to church even though she was showing, but some of the parents had a problem with this because they didn't want their kids to see this teenager who was pregnant. I remember one Sunday morning sitting in the sanctuary. I think I would have been about 15 at the time. There were two moms sitting in the pew right in front of me, and this girl, quite pregnant at that point, walked into the sanctuary, and one mom said to the other mom, I can't believe she'd come here in a condition like that. I don't remember seeing her come in after that weekend. What brought this story to mind, Kyle says, is that he recently became Facebook friends with this girl, and on Facebook, there's an information page where you can tell a little bit about yourself and list your favorite movies, favorite books, things like that. And there's one section where you can list your favorite quotes, and she had put one that stood out to him. It was from Gandhi, and it said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Well, that story reminded me of our story from John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we read about Jesus teaching in the courtyard one morning. His teaching is or interrupted, I should say, by an angry mob of religious leaders bursting onto the scene. And the mob pushes right up into the face where Jesus is. 
And this woman probably dressed no more than a bed sheet wrapped around her is shoved to the dirt at the feet of Jesus. And one of those religious leaders, one of those religious leaders gives the accusation to Jesus and says this, we found this woman in bed with a man that was not her husband. Now I've often wondered, how did they find her in that bed that was not her husband's? These religious leaders. But he goes on to say, the law says that we stone her. What do you say? Pushy. Religious leaders. They use the rules to try to trap Jesus because you see, rules can do that. Lawyers are masters at using rules to entrap and turn angry mobs against us. Now, we may not form a group like the story tells us and parade a center around town, but boy, we'll huddle in little circles and drop somebody's name and Whisper, whisper, whisper. But understand, God's word provides both guidance and commandments. And those commandments, those laws, they are put there to protect us. And if we're honest, none of us follow the law perfectly anyway. How do I know that? You could be driving the speed limit and you see a police car and you immediately hit the brakes. Amen? Come on, own up. Sure you do. Or there may be some perfect drivers in here. Nope, I never do that. Okay, that's fine. You just speed on down the road, don't worry about it. I, I understand. They're doing construction on one of the turnpikes going to Stillwater, or the turnpike going to Stillwater. For eight miles. Seemed like days. You go from 75 miles an hour, the speed limit, down to 55 miles an hour, a snail's pace. And cars are wanting to pass you, so they'll get right up on your bumper and just kind of ease up and then ease up. And Where am I going to pull over? It's one lane. Then you get that person that's really having a lot of fun, he slows down to 45. We overemphasize following rules. We do it in church. We get people thinking that they shouldn't share their struggles. We shouldn't talk about those things at the church house. And that's exactly what I want to address this morning. So you may be a little bit uncomfortable. And if you want to slip out, now would be a good time. Sometimes certain, since you didn't move, I'm going to keep going. Sometimes certain Christians can be a lot more like Pharisees and religious leaders than our blessed Messiah. They end up using rules to rationalize how they treat others in the church, especially newcomers whose sins aren't so readily known. You see, the more we know about each other, the more we begin to compare their sins to my sins, and your sins are worse than my sins, so I'm okay. You're not so much.
families do that, don't they? Oh, don't tell me you don't do that in your family. Sure you do. You're at a family reunion and you look up and all of a sudden you see that person coming. Instantly you go, oh man, it's going to be a long day, long weekend. Bertha's here. Mm, 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 mm. I hope I don't have anybody named Bertha. <laughs> and Christians would rationalize and they'll say, well, well, we're just trying to keep the standards high in our place of worship. They need to dress a certain way, carry themselves a certain way, so that God would be pleased with our service. What service? What are you expending in worship to Almighty God? If you want to come to God, then you've got to follow this set of rules that we've established, and it'll make you better, and you'll become holy and righteous. But in the end, these well-meaning believers end up creating a list of rules that simply wear us out and frustrate very new believers. Very new believers are a rare breed. They come into a church and they're excited. Their eyes are getting big. They're wanting to eager to learn. They want to know and they want to hear. They want to listen. Oh, and they just can't wait. Oh. And they begin to look around at all those saints and what do they see in those saints? That same wide-eyed enthusiasm that they want to know and they want to learn, they can't absorb enough? Or do they see those saints not so wide-eyed, not so much paying attention, whispering in the corner during this and during that, and not really paying attention, not showing the reverence needed, not showing the respect needed. Oh, but we've got a visit back here. Rules wear us out. So there's three things I want you to take away today. Number one is that rules can be very cumbersome. Kyle tells another story that I thought was really interesting. He said he grew up in a Christian school that had a lot of rules. He said, I want you to understand, they had every right to make those rules. Every Christian school has a right to make rules. He said, I think it's great for schools, for homes, for families to make some rules. I don't have a problem with those, but there were just a lot of them. For instance, you couldn't uh, have your hair below your collar if you were a boy, and girls' skirts couldn't be more than a couple of inches above their knee, and they had rulers to measure. You had to be clean-shaven at this school. And he said when he was age 13, he got sent home from school because he hadn't shaved. So he had to call his mom. Mom, come get me, pick me up, take me home. I got to shave and then take me back to school. 13. There's just all kinds of rules, and they're closely monitored and followed. And you know, boys had to wear the collared shirts. Girls had to wear certain uh, uh, rules about makeup and jewelry. And it's fine for schools or families to have rules. But he said this is what happened for a lot of the kids that he went to school with. They associated those rules of, not with going to school, but with being a Christian. Because it was a Christian school. 
Somehow many of them got the message that these are rules that you've got to follow if you're really going to be a Christian. And when they graduated from high school, many of them just walked away because they were tired. They were tired of all the rituals and all the ceremonies and all the rules. They're exhausted from trying to keep up with everything at school and then at home. And again, rules are fine. Nothing wrong with rules. But the problem is they had somehow gotten the idea that following rules made them a Christian. And this woman in John 8, she's looking down, humiliated. She's guilty. She's ashamed. She's been caught breaking the rules. And it may be that the day that breaking a rule cost her everything, Jesus kneels down and begins to write something in the dirt. Nobody knows what he's writing. Commentators speculate that he was perhaps writing the sins of those who were making the accusations. <laughs> Son of man could do that, by the way. But they know they have caught Jesus by surprise. They were waiting for his answer. They're ready to hear him submit to the letter of the law. They're waiting for him to shrug his shoulders. Well, after all, those are the rules. And finally, Jesus looks up at these spiritual leaders and he says, If any one of you is without sin, he can cast the first stone. And one by one, these bullies, these spiritual bullies, drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus is left alone with this woman. You ever been bullied spiritually by somebody who thinks they know more and acts like they know more than you will ever know? And they will just dramp, dram, dram, drive it down your throat till you, whoa. I mean, after all, they are the authority. How they teach this is the only way it's taught. Really? And what if you should be so bold as to challenge their thinking? Who are you, upstart, to tell me what the Bible says? Well, they could say this. No, it can't. I said it. Ooh, I said it. So, ooh, mm, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Yeah. So Jesus is left alone with the woman, perhaps with a little bit of a smile. He looks up at her and he says, is there anyone left to condemn you? And she's thinking, yeah, you're here. <laughs> I'm sitting here with a sheet wrapped around me and I've not much else under the sheet, pal. And you're sitting here and I'm not really pleased. I'm kind of embarrassed and it's just terrible. And Jesus looks at her with tenderness. This is the Jesus that I know. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Rules can be cumbersome. Second thing I want you to take away is that rules don't inspire grace. There was a teacher in a Christian school named Mr. Hollingworth. He did something very unusual. He wanted to teach the students a lesson about God's grace. Uh, Charles Stanley shares this same story that happened to him in college. 
And you may remember the story. He brings in the test, and they've been studying it for several months, and they were had to come prepared, and they sat down and said, I want you to read through the entire test, the teacher said, before you take it. And the students read through the test, and most of them realized that they were in deep trouble because they, had, they needed, obviously, to study more than what they had studied, even though they'd been preparing for months to take this test. But as they read the test, and they got to the end of the multiple page test section, they read these words. You can try and get an A by taking this test, or you can just put your name on it and automatically receive an A. Quickly, students were signing their name, walking up to the desk, and walking out. However, our present Patrick accepted. There was a child named Patrick in the class. Patrick didn't read through the whole test. He just started taking the test. Though most of the class had turned their tests in in just a few seconds, Patrick never caught on, and it was really too bad because I'm sure it would have been the only A that Patrick might have received in that class. Again, our present Patrick excluded. Then there was a girl named Michaela, and apparently she got quite upset because she had spent so much time studying, and what kind of teacher gives an A for nothing? She just took the test on principle. <laughs> if she's going to get an A, then she's going to earn that A. See, that's what fans say. I'm not taking any handouts. I can do this on my own. And so fans spend their lives carrying around the burden of religion instead of the joy of the relationship. And the grace of Jesus, that same grace that saved a woman from being stoned, calls to those who have been hauling around a long list of rules and rituals and obligations. Jesus calls to those who are tired of pretending to be more than they are. He calls to those who have had the guilt and fear of religion, wear them down. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught all that you needed to know about Jesus. You went to church on the weekend, church camp in the summer, you learned to fear Jesus, so you kept all the many rules, and as many of them as you could, hoping, hoping that you wouldn't go to hell. And when you would sin, you would feel guilty and wondered if you were would ever be good enough. And then you were taught to observe different religious traditions and, and rule keeping. But somehow you never really felt in love with Jesus. You were just becoming a fan. And because you come to a situation in which rules take precedence over love and grace, it's really hard to fall in love with that person. That's what happens in marriage relationships. When one or the other are dictators instead of lovers, you got a problem. But out of a sense of duty, we stay within that relationship because that's what we're supposed to do. Even though emotionally, physically, in every in numbers of ways, that relationship is toxic. Think about it this way. When, when I got married, there were some rules that I knew that I would live by. And when I said I do, I, I was willing to follow at least these three. Be faithful to her. Provide for her. Be committed to her. 
I mean, after all, I said, for better, for worse. Amen? So. But I quickly found out that there were other rules. Nobody told me about. That if I have a closet, if I have a closet, <laughs> I have to keep it clean and orderly. I am not to make fun of her before 10 a.m. in the morning. And I am to say out loud whatever it is I'm thinking. Just a few that I've learned along the way. But if I saw our relationship between Cindy and myself as just rules that I had to keep, I don't think I'd be very happy. But because I love her, I find joy in being a good husband. I would do anything for her, and so doing the dishes, putting the lid on the toilet, down on the toilet, and other extravagant acts of sacrifice. They're simply joy for me. Most of the time. But in the end, the grace and the love of God frees us, inspires us to live for Him. Augustine said it this way, Who can be good if not made so by loving Love God and do as you please. He could say that because he knew that when you love God, you will want to please God, but your priorities, your emphasis, your focus has to be on loving God. It has to be about a relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, it doesn't work. I want us to hear a short, or, or, or view a short uh, clip uh, from Kyle that will drive this home. Just, just really listen. It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are upset, concerned, because maybe a college-age child or an adult child is no longer following Jesus. And the parents usually want to know what happened. They want to know what went wrong that's a hard question to answer. There's a lot of different possibilities, but I, I do my best just to listen to the story, to encourage them and to pray for their child. But not long ago, I was uh, speaking in Houston, Texas, and after I was done speaking, this big man with this big belt buckle came up to me, but he had, uh, had tears in his eyes. And he began to tell me the story of his prodigal daughter who had left home and had walked away from her faith, was no longer following Jesus. But he didn't ask me what happened. He didn't seem to be looking for an explanation. In fact, with one sentence, he told me what he thought went wrong. He said, we raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Do you ever go to the doctor and get an inoculation they give you a little bit of a virus to try and make you immune to the real thing. I think that's what's happened to a lot of fans. They got a little bit of Jesus. Maybe at home, maybe at school, at church, a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of rules. Maybe a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. 
I want you to let that statement penetrate for a minute. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. If your children don't have a foundation of Jesus Christ and the relationship that he loves you no matter what, they're going to have problems. When we have new believers come to Christ and we don't help them understand that it's not about their decision, it's all about the fact that Jesus loves them and cares for them and wants them. Remember, I've told you before, and I'll continue to tell you until I breathe no more. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, you or I could ever, ever, ever do that would cause God to stop loving us. There's only one person, that's our enemy, Satan himself, who wants you convinced that whatever you've done, God won't love you anymore. Not true. He's the chief liar, and he's lying about that. So whatever it is that you've done, God will never, ever, ever stop loving you, and neither should you and I stop loving each other. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we do, because we all fly off the handle. We all speak out of turn. I'm raising your hand for evil, okay? We all do stuff, go places we shouldn't go. You don't have to be embarrassed. I'll raise it for you. I could just keep going with the list, couldn't I? Because we are all works in progress, still waiting for the final day when we're called home. And until that day, guess what? You're still going to make mistakes. You're still going to have warts. <laughs> You're still not going to be the prettiest thing that's come down the pike since apple pie. But the other thing that's really important is that you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Your sins have been washed away. Rules are cumbersome. Rules don't inspire grace. And 30 rules don't keep us around. I want to say this very carefully and clearly. When our kids grow up and they define Christianity as keeping that moral code instead of defining Christ in their life as being a follower of him, they tend to walk away from both. Like that dad said, I brought them to church, but I didn't bring them in Christ. How important was Jesus? How important is Jesus? I've got to make sure they understand the rules, the moral obligations of being a Christian. I've got to, got to hammer that away. I've got to tell them, I've got to tell them, I've got to tell them, I've got to tell them. If they'll define Christianity that way instead of defining Christianity as following Jesus, I mean, they're going to walk away from both of them. They'll walk away from Jesus and they'll walk away from the moral code because they don't want to keep it. Why do you think Jesus had to come and die on the cross in the first place? Because the Jews couldn't keep ten of them. Ten commandments is all he laid out. They couldn't even keep 10. They had stretched it to over 600 by the time Jesus walked the earth. Wow. God got so tired of it. At one point, he just flooded the whole earth except for eight people. That's it. He thought those eight people were righteous. <laughs> they were no, no, no sooner on dry ground than they were back in the life of sin. 
we define Christianity first and foremost as the, as the following of Jesus Christ. We cannot expect to recruit the world to, set, to a set of standards that we would never live by or follow if it wasn't for the love of Christ in us. They're not going to get on board with that unless it's because they know Jesus. You're not going to come to church and give up time. You're not going to serve on, 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 on committees. You're not going to serve in ways to help other people. You're not going to give your money or your food away. You're not going to teach in a Sunday school class. You're not going to be a part of a, a youth trip to Tennessee with a bunch of knothead teenagers who are loud and wild and, ra and raucous. And you're not going to want to do that unless you've got a relationship with Jesus. And if you expect those children to follow the rule, 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 guess what? They won't. Why? Because they don't do that. You know why? Because you don't do that. And when you're uncomfortable and you really won't, don't like being uncomfortable and you want to let people know that you're not, un, you're not comfortable at all, huh? Yeah. I mentioned Kyle preaches at this large church and he got a note from one of his volunteers in the Welcome Center and the, the note read like this. It was about five minutes until the service started and a young woman, probably in her late 20s, early 30s, walked in with her fifth grade son, approached me with a kind of deer in the headlights look. She'd never been here and was nervous. I took her to the check-in counter for her son's class and on the way there, she told me that she had gotten a divorce six years ago and after that she was no longer welcome at the church that she had gone to. She hadn't been to church since then and you could just hear the guilt in her voice and she was terribly nervous. I shared with her that I had been divorced and a single mom, and I knew how tough that was. Once her son was in class, I asked her if she wanted to sit with me in the worship service, and upon hearing my invitation, she said, am I allowed to go in the sanctuary since I'm not a member? I told her she was. And when we got to our seats, the service had already started, and everyone was standing and singing, and after the song, the young man leading worship prayed, and the first words out of his mouth were, God, thank you that no matter where our path has taken us in life, you can redeem us and forgive us. And with that, her tears started to flow and really didn't stop throughout the entire service. I could just see the fear and the guilt melt away, and her body language went from tense to frightened to calm and excited. And as we were standing a few for a few worship songs, at the end of the service, she appeared a bit antsy. I assumed that she was probably ready to leave and go pick up her son, so I turned and asked her if she was ready to leave. But before I had a chance, to, she opened her mouth and she said, Do I need to walk down there to talk to him if I want to join your church? Yes, you do, she said. She said, I want to do that. So I asked her if she wanted me to walk with her, and she said, Yes. Yes. And so we walked down front. And Kyle goes on to say that he greeted her at the front. And he leaned forward and she whispered in his ear, I went through a divorce a few years ago and my other church wouldn't have me. It was really more of a question than a statement. So Kyle said, he said to her, I'm sorry, but we would love to have you. Will we be a church that would love to have broken people? Will we be a church that will love people, don't care who they are, what they've done, or where they've come from? Are we going to be that kind of a church? Or, or, because if we are, we're going to have a nasty, ugly, messy-looking church. We will. There's going to be things that happen 
things that get spilled, things that get written on walls that should, ought not be there. A little elbow grease and some paint can't cover. But one thing that will always happen is the scar will be left when we jump up in judgment instead of love. We would love to have you. Now, I don't know what your story is today. Some of you I know pretty well, but I still don't know your whole story. But I hope by now, after 18 years of serving as your pastor at this church, that you know one thing, is that I love you. I love you. And I know some of you have had some tough times in your life. I hurt for you. I hurt for you because you hurt. And I know some of you are still carrying scars from years ago, and you've never forgiven yourself of those scars. I know some of you, you think you don't have to do any more than you've done. You've done all you need to do. And I know some of you have been bullied. <laughs> I know some of you have been pushed. Some of you have had Jesus misrepresented to you. He's been more of a dictator than a friend. I know for some of you that traditions in church and rules and regulations in church have become more of what you are about than knowing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and that's good enough. You may have grew up in a religious affiliation where nobody seemed to make a big deal out of grace, but, well, they sure made you feel guilty every weekend. That was my church that I grew up in. But what I'm hoping is that we are a church. I'm praying that we are a church that we'll just love people. That we'll love you the best we can the way Jesus loves you. And when we make a mistake, own up to it, and then let's arm in arm move forward. And I'm praying that there will be somebody in this room today that lets that break through and lets Jesus hear from them tired of following all the rules and regulations and that's what drives me what I really want Jesus is to know you and to know you in a real personal way Father I'm asking you this morning to do a mighty work in somebody this, this morning just this morning right here in this place I just believe with all of my heart that somebody in here needs to say I've had enough of the playing games. I've had enough of just sitting and listening. I've had enough of just sitting on the sideline. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and get back in the game. And then, Father, would you give us wisdom as we drive them closer to your cross, as we lead them closer to your cross. Would they understand that the greatest part of being a believer, a Christ follower, is that we don't have to look for, to men for guidance. 
We just simply have to look to you. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, you're going to drive, drive us. You're going to move us. You're going to instruct us. You're going to lead us. As a shepherd leads his sheep, so you lead us. And one thing that's true about sheep is that they know the voice of their shepherd. Would we today be honest with ourselves and let you know that we hear your voice? If there's somebody here today, God, that know you as a personal Savior, we'd love to sit and teach them more, let them help them understand what it means to actually become a follower of Christ. Maybe they've been a Christian. They've been attending our church for a while. They, they, they just want to make this church their home church. Would you let them have the courage to step out and come and make that known? And Father, there may be others that are just carrying a burden that's just bigger than them. They need help. They need, they need encouragement. Would they let us know so we can pray for them? If there's somebody, God, would you move in their life today? In Jesus' name, amen.